Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, one and all. This is Robert Rogers. I am the founder of Parkinson's Recovery and the host of, of course, the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Show. It's a delight to have you join us on the program today. My guest today is a very special individual, and I have to confess to all of you that I've been talking with Walter Maddie about the possibility of being a guest on the show now for some years, and I'm pleased and delighted and honored to be able to report that today is the day when he is going to be our featured guest. Walter Maddie has an incredible background. He's a retired physical therapist with almost 30 years, specializing in orthopedic physical therapy, certified strength and conditioning specialist. He's a certified orthopedic specialist in physical therapy. Walter was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in 2008, so some years ago, and he's currently uh, being treated with medicines, Ayurvedic medicine, exercise, coconut oil, qigong, and other kinds of interventions. Walter, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a guest on the radio show today. It's my pleasure to be here. Tell us all about yourself. Well, I I don't want to go back too far to my teen years, but uh, I'll I'll start uh, coming out of college. I was a biology major, and I taught high school biology for a few years before going to physical therapy school, and when I got out, I set up a private practice and did that for almost 30 years, you know, specializing in the evaluation and treatment of musculoskeletal disorders, specializing in exercise and, and the application of exercise to a host of various conditions. And then in 2008, I was surprisingly diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, uh, and then, you know, a couple of years later, I I retired. Uh, so that's where I am now. I'm a, I'm a retired physical therapist, and uh, even although I was diagnosed in 2008, uh, I'm still considered early early onset uh, Parkinson's disease. You know, by the amount of symptomology I have. So the symptoms have not been particularly overwhelming or debilitating over these last years for you. No, they, they, they've kind of it's been slow to progress, and I think I think all the different things I do to to help try to treat the disease has helped a lot. Wow. What do you suppose, Walter, might be the factor or factors that are causing the symptoms that you do happen to be experiencing? You know, the, the, the surprising thing about the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease is how the diagnosis really requires very little, any, any kind of test to show the has Parkinson's. And then, you know, how they, how they treat it is very passive. So, uh, you know, I, I think my symptomology was kept at bay by, again, a combination of a lot of the things that I found out to do on my own, uh, treating it more aggressively than passively, because I think the, the medical community is, is in this passive mode of treating this disease, and I think that's like the opposite of what they should be doing. Um, 
medication may have its place, but you know, that's that's basically what they do is treat it with medications. I know listeners are going to be fascinated to learn more about the therapies and or the treatments that you found to be helpful. Um, could you go down and tell us which ones you're using and how, in fact, uh, it seems like they've been so useful? Well, it's a combination of things, and I wish I could kind of figure out which one helps the most, but I really do think it is a combination of everything. Uh, therapeutic exercise is a very important component of the treatment, I think. You, you cannot ignore the importance of, of not just, you know, aerobic exercise, but also strengthening exercise. So, you know, my routine consists of doing a strengthening program and some aerobic exercise, you know, three times a week, um, using weight machines and even just walking uh, for the aerobic component of the exercise. Uh, oh, do you do, that do, at, do you do that at home or go to a health clinic? I go to a, I go to a health club. And I, you know, I'll do, to do the bike. I'll do the weight machines. I'll do some stretching. Uh, the walking, I think, could not be more important for you know Parkinson's patients. Walking always becomes an issue. It, it appears to, in this in this disease. Uh, so I advocate walking a lot, uh, and I, I think that's helped a lot to to maintain my ambulation. Also, you know, a lot of, of what I do and what I've found is it's not so much weakness that is developed sometimes. is the body just forgets how to do something uh, in Parkinson's. And it, sometimes it's, it's neuromuscular re-education that's required, meaning, you know, if you find you're having trouble with fine movements in your hand, you don't kind of then shuffle off the responsibility to the other hand. You kind of make that hand do it through practice and through exercise, and you'd be surprised at how people can kind of reclaim you know, some of what they feel like they have lost. That they didn't really lose it. The body, again, the body just forgets sometimes how to move properly in Parkinson's. It's evidenced by you know trying to put on a coat. A lot of people have trouble putting on their coat. Again, you, you practice it and break it down into its component movements, and you can reteach the body how to do that. Oh, that's been- so. Instead of one big swoop of a movement, you take it into, uh, you break it down into tiny steps. Right, right. If, if if that's possible, that's a good thing to do. And I think that was something I, I was surprised at. That it, again, the, the neuromuscular reeducation component, uh, something that's often ignored. So you know that became a part of my my treatment. Uh, approach. Uh, the, the coconut oil was something I read on the internet and people anecdotally were, were reporting positive effects of coconut oil with their symptoms. And now it's progressed to the point where I think the medical community has kind of you know, lifted its head and said, you know, maybe there's something to this. And studies are being done and have been done to show that coconut oil could be beneficial to Parkinson's. Do you ingest the oil then or put it on your skin or both? No, I, I just, uh, what I've read and what I do myself is I ingest it. You now I buy a, a big jar of it and I heat it up till it's an oil and then I just drink it down. I mean, you could you could wow. use it in, you could use it like you use any other oils, cooking oils. 
Uh, you can use it to cook with. You could put it on your toast. You could put it in your orange juice. You, there's a lot of different ways to take coconut oil. The way I do it, because I think it's the easiest way, is you know it comes in solid form. You know I'll, I'll heat up a, uh, a coffee mug and I just put a, a dollop or a scoop of the coconut oil in there. It melts and then I just drink it down. Yeah. You know, maybe you know, like a tablespoon, one and a half tablespoons at a time, several times a day. Again, and that's anecdotal because they haven't they haven't decided just how much coconut oil is beneficial. Right. And what the dosage should be. So you know, people generally start, you know, one tablespoon a day. And they progress to two, and then to three, and you know how much coconut oil you want to. Take again has yet to be determined. And for listeners that want to learn more about the use of coconut oil and coconut flour and coconut sugar as something that can help address symptoms, be sure to scroll back on the radio show page and listen to my radio show interview with Dr. Bruce Fife, who has written a slew of books just about the use of coconut oil. I like his work because the recipes that he has been able to invent allow you to be able to make some delicious foods that are substitutes for all the kind of foods we love to eat but are bad for you. So brownies that are actually healthy brownies to eat and and taste yummy as well is just one example. Now, Walter, you also mentioned Qigong as something that's been useful. Tell us all about that and how that's been useful to you. Qigong is something that is very perplexing and confusing to me because of how how effective I think it really is in helping Parkinson's patients. It, I, I don't know the, the detailed background of Qigong, but I believe Tai Chi was developed from Qigong and Qigong is a is a discipline that is a form of meditation using imagery and movement. In fact, they they refer, refer to it sometimes as stillness in movement, uh, which is an interesting way to describe it. And um, you know, through the the classes, you know, I take a I go to a class. Uh, you, you learn these different movements, and it's very relaxing. Uh, it's, it's very much a stimulant to healing, if you believe in the manipulation of the energy forces. And I'm, being a biology major, I have a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that I could kind of manipulate healing energy within my body. But the Qigong is, is designed to do that, and it's also designed to help reduce stress. And stress is a, a big problem in uh, increasing symptomology in Parkinson's patients. So anything to help reduce stress if not Qigong, some other form of meditation is an important component of any treatment approach. The Qigong, though, especially the medical Qigong, is a specific set of movements. It helps teach you how to utilize that energy again to help your body with healing. That's the simplest way for me to try to explain that. Do you do this once a week, twice a week, or more often? I should do it more often, as my Qigong instructor has told me, uh, but I try to do it at least you know, two to three times a week. But it would wow. be good to do it. It would be good to do it daily. And, and, and again, the reason it, it, it was surprising to me is because after about my third Qigong session, my hands were 
tingling and vibrating. Very, very weird. I've had that sensation, but not associated with anything like this. The Qigong instructor told me, well, that is supposed to happen. You're, you're activating your hands. You're activating the energy and then turning it back inside. And, you know, again, as a biology major and a physical therapy practitioner, that caught me by surprise, but it was undoubtedly there. It was not something I was even told would happen. But, you know, when I'm doing Qigong, you know, I could feel my hands activate, for lack of a better term. They start to tingle. It is very, uh, very interesting. That is indeed. There is a volunteer host for Sunday Connections, Bianca Molay, who has found Qigong for her, too, has been extremely useful in helping her reduce actually all of her symptoms. So for those of you interested in learning more about Qigong, she is a golden resource in that she practices that apparently every day and finds that that's been the answer for her in being able to completely and totally reverse all of her symptoms. There's also a little book out uh, with an interview that I've done with Bianca called Qigong and Parkinson's Disease, where she talks about her experience with Qigong. Walter, you also have mentioned Ayurvedic medicine has been useful. I think some listeners aren't even aware of what that kind of medicine is. Uh, to, to the best of my knowledge, it's Indian, and I don't, I don't mean Indian like the American Indian, uh, Indian based uh, medical practice utilizing uh, various supplements, uh, natural supplements, herbs, uh, to help decrease your symptoms. And, you know, I, the reason I got turned on to that is, is uh, my massa- massage practitioner mentioned her, this, this local Ayurvedic practitioner who was a pharmacist-trained individual who turned away from pharmacy and decided to focus her energies into the Ayurvedic medicine. So I went and I've been trying the, it's, it's a, lot, a lot of different supplements and some solid, some liquid, and again the amount of that that's helped me. I, I it's hard to separate out because I'm doing a, a conglomeration of things, um, but I think it does help and it helps to. Uh, it's aimed at helping the immune system and strengthening up the immune system and dealing with a, any kind of anti-inflammatory disorders. And it was curious, I had a neuro, uh, a neurologist friend of mine told me he had a patient that went to India to get treated, and while in India his symptoms were greatly reduced doing the Ayurvedic medicine, and when he came back to the United States, uh, his symptomology returned. He stopped doing the Ayurvedic and he returned from India. He fell back into his old habits of you know, eating improperly in, in the U.S., and his symptoms returned. I told myself, I said, yeah, I might as well give this a try as well because there might be something to this. Yeah. Are there any very specific and rigid dietary guidelines associated with the treatments that you're pursuing in the Ayurvedic medicine area? Well, the, the Ayurvedic practitioner will make some recommendations with regards to types of foods I want to try to avoid, like high carbohydrates, and uh, doesn't like me having dessert past uh, you know, late afternoon, and <laughs> you know, little, little little tidbits like that. Uh, but I think the main, the main thing is taking the supplements, uh, the herbal supplements, to try to uh, offset the effects of Parkinson's. Uh, 
I mean, she, they're pretty confident in, in their approach and the, their ability to help you. How interesting. So the person who's facilitated all of this for you is labeled as an Ayurvedic medical doctor or doctor or naturopath, or how would a person go about finding somebody in their local area who could do for them what this person is doing for you? That's a good question. Uh, I mean, I came upon my practitioner through a recommendation, but I believe when I was researching on the Internet, there was a resource that identified Ayurvedic practitioners in different states. I don't know if they, they joined an organization so that they could be identified. It, it might even be in the yellow pages. I haven't looked, but I, I would certainly give yeah. it most importantly, people can know that there are those resources available. So if they want to pursue that as a possible treatment protocol, there are support resources that are available. And, and you know, this, this uh, Ayurvedic practitioner that I go to was also a pharmacist, which kind of led some credence to her her background and her training. How interesting. And some Ayurvedic medical practitioners may be nutritionists as well who have a specialty in knowing all about what kind of herbs and uh, these sorts of supplements can facilitate a reversal of symptoms. And it turns into a commitment. I mean, you have to have confidence in in what they're trying to do to help you just just as much as you have to have some kind of faith in that the Qigong might be doing something beneficial. Any any one type of therapy may not be beneficial by itself as, as as much as it can be with a conglomeration of other disciplines, not just Western medicine, but maybe some Eastern medicine as well. Right. Are there any specific foods that you make a rule of avoiding as a as a matter of routine? Avoiding. Well, you know, I've always tried to eat healthy, so I don't overdo the carbohydrates and the goodies and stuff, but there's nothing I specifically cut out of my routine. I did I did cut out milk because of the, the possibility of issues with, with milk. I'd cut that out, but I don't miss it. Oh. And then, the most uh, part, And then it sounds like not a lot of sugar as well. When you mention goodies, in other words, maybe some, but not a great deal of that as well. No, and it, the, you know the Mediterranean diet uh, research has shown is, is supposed to be more helpful with uh, Parkinson's as well. Right. But well, know, you diet had some... say, say again. The diet is always a very tricky thing when it comes to proving one one diet is more effective than another. It's a hard thing to study. Isn't that the truth? You've had a compelling report of these various uh, treatments and therapies and approaches that have been obviously so uh, useful and helpful, especially when used in combination. What has not been helpful to you since 2008? The way of a treatment intervention or just things in general? Or anything, yeah. Treatments that you might have tried that were not useful or anything that was not useful or helpful to you. 
I think the initial attempts at medicating the problem I did not do well with. and uh, I, I kind of just told the doctor I'm not going to do the medicine at this stage, you know, because right away they want to put you on a medicine. And the, uh, I researched the side effects of the medicine, and I, you know, I was feeling more lousy with the medication than without it. So early on I, I refused the medication and tried to treat it more with the things we're talking about, the exercise and dietary changes and supplements and Qigong, and I, and I did well with that. Stress, again, is one of those things that just does not bode well with, with symptoms and Parkinson's. You must find a way to control stress levels. And then I can't think of many things I, I did or attempted that had a negative effect. Oh. And I know you've mentioned several times now, it's pretty clear from what you said that you see a direct connection between stress and the symptoms when you feel stress is present, symptoms are worse, and when stress is not as problematic, then symptoms are much better. Is that a fair summary? Yes. yes and I think most most listeners out there that have Parkinson's have found uh, when they are, are under stress, they, they see their tremor increases or uh, their coordination gets a little worse and you know, before they realize they need to kind of relax and calm down. Right. And that's part that's part of the overall approach to the, the, the treatment. Again, it's not, not fixating on just one thing, you, you, whether it's your medication or just Qigong or just exercise. It really is an adjustment in lifestyle that, that people have to be told. Uh, time to change what's going on in your life now. These are things that, that could and should help, so let's, let's start adding them to your lifestyle. The kind of changes you've made have obviously made a huge difference in terms of what's happened to you since 2008. So I know listeners are going to be enthralled <laughs> with what you found has been especially useful. Yeah, my my neurologist is, is you know, always surprised that my symptoms haven't progressed more than they have. Like, what are you doing? That's it's helping you. You know, I tell them. You know, <laughs> and do you tell them? They'll make faces at, at the, the qigong and the ayurvedic, but uh, he he does understand the need for exercise. And the problem with uh, again the problem in, with our medical community is they'll tell a patient, "Here's your diagnosis, and it's a progressive degenerative disorder," and which which makes it sound all doom and gloom, and you can't do anything to offset it. And they'll tell you you need to exercise, and then they send the person away. And most asymptomatic people that are healthy don't know how to exercise. And you're telling a Parkinson's patient you need to exercise, but they're not telling them well, what they need to do, what types of exercises, what's the proper technique, how many sets, how many reps, how, how, how long do I rest in between, you know, my exercises. They're not taught that, and most likely they're not going to start exercising because they really don't know how. How interesting. Would you ever be motivated to basically write a little book that would explain to people what they need to know about how to exercise? Well, you should say that because even prior to my diagnosis as a physical therapist and strength and conditioning specialist, it would drive me crazy when I was in health clubs watching people exercise incorrectly, doing things that not just were not going to give them any benefit, but that could possibly harm them. 
even patients that were under the tutelage and guidance of the so-called personal trainers, the personal trainers would have them doing things that would make me cringe. So this was even before I was diagnosed with Parkinson's, with non-Parkinson's population. So, so now, you know, and I used to say, I, I really should write a book. And I really should, should make a video, teach people how to exercise, but never never took the steps to do it. And with Parkinson's patients, you're right, that would be even more important uh, you know, for, for some sort of resource to teach them what they should and shouldn't do, what type of exercises are going to be beneficial for them help offset their symptomology. But yeah, I guess the, the answer is, that no, I have not written a book, and I probably should. <laughs> well, speaking on behalf of our many listeners, I would hope that you would at some point be motivated to write just such a book. It sounds like you're the one person in the world that could really tell people what they need to hear about how to exercise correctly. Yeah, and it, it is, again, it, it's... Not to beat a dead horse, but the use of exercise in, in the treatment regime of a Parkinson's patient is really important uh, to keep it from cascading, you know, further and further downward. Movement exercise, right. balance exercise, strengthening exercises—it's all very good. How interesting. Is there any one common mistake when you're watching people, for example, at the health club exercise that you've noticed is truly and severely problematic for people that they make when they exercise? I, you know, the, the biggest thing I see that, that, that sends off flares in my brain is uh, not taking the proper precautions with their technique to protect their neck and their back. I mean, lower back problems and neck problems are epidemic anyway for in, in our society. So many people have neck and back problems. And too involved to explain all the reasons for that, but I know with exercise, especially exercise, that's one place where you have to teach a person proper technique, proper alignment when they're doing the exercise so they protect their neck and back so they don't injure their neck and back. Even, even something as basic as teaching them how to use their core muscles to stabilize lower back when they're doing exercises. So and it, it, it's, a, it's always been a pet peeve of mine, and uh, one of the biggest areas that needs attention in a health club setting. Whether it's a Parkinson's or a non-Parkinson's patient, it's still the same. They need to learn how to protect their back. How interesting. I just published a book, What is Wrong with Me, that I want everybody to know about. That was just released yesterday. And it is a follow-up from a radio show interview that I did with Dr. Ivy Faber, naturopath doctor, who approaches her discipline by doing bioenergetic assessments. After the interview with her, I decided I needed to provide some additional explanation of exactly what that approach to diagnosis or assessment really was. So I wrote the little book, which is called What in the World is Wrong with Me? Holistic Health at Its Best. Uh, the book is now available on Amazon or as a download. Walter, what would you like to say to a listener who has just been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease? What I would say is do not be passive with how you react to this news. Learn about 
what it is, learn about the various disciplines that are out there to treat it, and be aware you're going to have to make some lifestyle changes. If you didn't exercise before, you're going to learn to exercise. If you weren't eating right, you're going to learn to eat right. If you didn't believe in Eastern medicine, well, maybe it's time to open your mind up and, and try some things. And don't don't poo-poo anything that, that people might say has helped them because Parkinson's is a, is, a, is a very individual disease sometimes, and it differs from patient to patient. And what, what might help one patient dramatically may not help another patient. But it doesn't hurt to try all the, some of these various things that you're going to be exposed to on the Internet. Experimentation has certainly paid off for you, Walter Maddy. That's to be sure. Yes, it has. And it sounds like you've been open to a lot of these kinds of possibilities that perhaps it wouldn't even occur to you 20 years ago. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. What question have I not ask you that I really should ask you before we conclude our discussion? That's a good question. Maybe why is it the medical community has tunnel vision when it comes to treating Parkinson's disease? <laughs> That's the question. What's the answer? I, I, I really don't know. I mean, it, it perplexes me what little, what little information I got from the doctors with regards to even the, an explanation of what I had, let alone different things I could do to treat it, other than here's a prescription for medicine. I've heard a lot of discussion, of course, from hundreds and hundreds of people who have really had that very same question. Where I have finally come out on all of that is to really respect the allopathic uh, medicine, the medical doctor approach, as one option among many different other options. And that option is treatment of the symptoms through prescription medications and or surgeries. And it takes those folks quite a bit of time to learn all those medications and which ones might be presumed to help one person over another. And, of course, uh, the medications are always changing and the advisories in terms of side effects are always changing. They have a lot of legal constraints that they have to respect. And, of course, they have a lot of time constraints. So I remember being in um, a resort area with a man who was a neurologist from Canada and he said, what do I do? And I said, well, we identify options that help people uh, be able to reverse symptoms that are natural. He said, oh, I wish I could talk with my patients about exercise and some of these other kinds of beneficial therapies, but I only have 10 minutes. <laughs> I said, that's it. I don't have enough time really to learn very much about my patients at all. I have just enough time to write the prescription and say thank you very much for coming. So my guess is that a lot a lot of the constraints on folks are so severe that they really right. don't have much time to do much else. And, of course, I think the other thing that I just want to say is there are also issues that many of these folks have that are very sad in terms of the liability issues. And I think a lot of them are really skittish about saying anything that's outside a prescription medication or a surgery kind of an advisory, which is what they're qualified and, and, and uh, legally able to discuss. So if you get them outside that, they're really hesitant to even say, well, 
vitamin C is something that might be good. <laughs> you know, there, right. there really, I think, many of them well, are hesitant. Well, you know, what is beneficial, having said what you just said about the time element, uh, patients with Parkinson's disease should at least get their neurologist or their family doctor, send them to physical therapy. You know, exactly. You know, <laughs> exactly. Try to figure out in your area who is who can and is treating these type of disorders, and this way the therapist, physical therapist, will have time to teach you things, how to move properly, doing some balance exercises, which might prevent you from falling. Uh, there's a whole host of things, but I, I mentioned that once when I was a physical therapist and I was visiting uh, with a neurologist. You know, why don't you send your patients to physical therapy that have Parkinson's? And his remark was, "Well, what, what are you going to do for my patients?" I mean, how could you help really? them? They have park. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. My, I said, well, oh my goodness. Oh. I was like, I said to begin with, we'll teach them how to exercise properly. We'll we'll teach them how to sit properly, how to get up from a chair properly. We'll give them balance exercises, yada yada yada, and on and on and on. Uh, and you would think that would have swayed him to start sending his Parkinson patients to therapy, but that did not. He didn't send. Oh. He didn't utilize therapy for his patients, which you know, it, it's a, such a real shame. Well, it is, and that kind of reference from a doctor to a physical therapist, oftentimes that's paid through medical insurance programs, is it not? Oh, right, yeah. I mean, physical therapy is generally covered by uh, by insurance. I mean, Ayurvedic medicine is not, Qigong is not, a lot of the other things we talked about are not, but physical therapy is. Given the incredible connection between stress and the symptoms, what else do you discover has been extremely helpful in being able to keep that stress level under control so that the symptoms are not problematic? I know you've mentioned Qigong is certainly helpful. Exercise is certainly helpful. Is there anything else in particular that pops out as something that has been particularly useful for you as a matter of routine and regular practice? Uh, aside from the actual exercise, like qigong and meditation, uh, just a, an alteration in the way you approach things and, and what you think is important. I mean, it's it's hard to get philosophical with this, but you know, they, they, someone wrote a book once called "Don't Sweat the Small Stuff," um, and that 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 holds true in Parkinson's. A lot of things that used to you know worry people, they have to not be worried about it. A lot of things that used to make them uptight, they got to not get uptight about, it. and that just takes some, you know, adjustments in the way you think and approach things. You know, whether it's driving in a car and getting angry at someone in front of you, you know, why waste the time doing that? You're going to get stressed out. It's going to make your symptoms worse. You have to kind of, you have to learn to be a more low key individual, which is easier said than done. But, you know, I've, I've been there. You know, things that used to kind of get me all riled up, you know, I just kind of take with a grain of salt. And my wife sometimes looks at me and goes, you know, doesn't that make you angry? And I say, no. Maybe <laughs> it used to. Maybe it used to. Not anymore, because I know what will happen if I get excited. Yeah, exactly. Well, you could get angry if you want. I guess you can tell her. But that's not something I'm going to do for myself. Right. Well, it sounds like a summary of much of what you said is that a person who begins to experience neurological challenges and perhaps that has been uh, diagnosed with Parkinson's disease really has to confront a choice, and that choice is that some changes have to be made if they'd like to be able to see 
uh, continued healthy lifestyle. But if they don't make any changes, I think what I hear you saying is that chances are their their symptoms will, in fact, get more problematic. Would that be a fair summary? Yeah, I, I believe so. That, that kind of sums it up nicely. And you are certainly a person who has stopped and said, wait a minute, I think I need to make some changes in my life. You've made them, and by God, has that made a huge difference to you and the quality of your own life? Yes, and I think it, it has helped to limit the progression or minimize it. Uh, I think it would, uh, the progression would have been greater if I had not been doing these things. Right. Well, Walter Maddy, I hope uh, that this program might lead to uh, motivation to write that book. <laughs> it just when do that. W- when it's finished, we can have you back on the show, and then we'll lead people to where they can actually purchase the book. Right now, uh, Walter does not have an actual website, so there's no way to go in there and see what some of his suggestions might be for healthy and safe exercise principles. But let's hope that just in the coming months uh, we might have an opportunity to hear from you again, Walter, and also uh, talk some about the book that you are about to write. Yes, and you know, and if people do have any specific questions they do want to address to me, they could they could email me directly. That would be wonderful. And what is your email address? It's wmady at comcast.net. And so that's spelled, for those of you who are listening that would like to be able to connect with Walter, W-M-A-D-Y at, and that's Comcast.net, and that would be spelled C-O-M-C-A-S-T dot N-E-T. Well done. Walter, on... On behalf of uh, many listeners of the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Show, I want to thank you for all of the listeners for taking the time to tell us some about what you've been able to discover has made a big difference in terms of your own healthy lifestyle. It's been a remarkable story that is truly inspiring to everyone. I want to thank you for having me, Robert. Hopefully uh, some of the information does reach some people. And it helps. I am, I am sure, Walter, that it will indeed. And feel free to contact Walter by email if you have follow-up questions or would like to be able to get some of that additional support that's so necessary to make the kinds of changes that are essential to being able to continue a healthy, viable, exciting, happy lifestyle. And that's what's happening here on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all of the children are truly loved. This is Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. Know that by virtue of the fact that you have listened to this incredible radio show interview with Walter Matty today, that you indeed on the road to recovery. May your week prove to be magnificent. Good day. You there?